I wanted to just get your impressions about the offseason overall now that we've had a chance to lay our eyes on some of these players, specifically Amon Thompson for a game at least, and then Cam Whitmore was able to play throughout all of Summer League. I know neither of us wants to make too much of Summer League, but now that we're at least at a point where all the the, the pieces for the most part are in play and we've got to see see them a little bit, what sort of your overall impression of what this Rockets offseason has been? Uh, it's been a good one. I, I don't think it's been a great offseason, but I think it's been solid to where um, they have they, – they raised the floor of the roster, which I think was important. And we saw this um, last year. They were playing a lot of guys who just should not have been in an NBA rotation. And I think we know that because you look at what – you know, John, uh, and I'll put it this way. Jonathan Fagan talked to Stephen Silas at Summer League um, – and within the story, he mentioned that you look at all these guys that Steven Silas had to play, especially towards the end of last year, Josh Christopher, Dacian Nix, Ty Ty Washington, uh, Usman Garuba, KJ Martin, and KJ, you kind of separate KJ from the other four, but those guys were basically not just given away, but the Rockets had to attach assets to get rid of those guys. And those are the types of guys that Steven Silas was having to play. Those were the types of guys that they had to play last year. That's not the case anymore. Like this roster should be better. The the top nine, 10 guys in the rotation should be much. I shouldn't say, I, I, I guess you go like six through 10 on the roster should be much, much better next season than it was last season. So to me, that's where I think the success of the off season comes in. It's just like you, hopefully you won't have bad players having to play serious minutes or bad NBA players play real serious NBA minutes. Yeah, for me, Adam, it's just it's just direction. I feel like they were a directionless team in the past or for the last few years they have been. And with the additions of Ime Udoka and Fred Van Vliet and even Dylan Brooks to some extent, I feel like the team just has a little bit more direction and organization, if you will. It was a they were disjointed or or and dis disorganized, I would say unorganized i would say for quite some time and i think that's going to change that's the big part of it um I, I think that that still there is an element of and you and i have talked about this both on the podcast and on the air on shows that we've done on sports radio 610 but like this feeling of underwhelming of how how much better does this ultimately make you and it really puts the spotlight for me on the young pieces like like we, we can talk about all the additions but to me it's all going to come down to how those young pieces ultimately end up developing and meshing in with the new ones um the the found the, the foundational pieces how they end up meshing in with the new ones i was looking at a headline earlier adam and it was uh it was austin Reeves, i think on the who's hype podcast or on some podcast or another or maybe, maybe it was a different one but either way he was talking about how, you know, and we, we know this, that the supposedly the Rockets were interested in, in Austin Reeves and they were kind of waiting to see how the Fred Van Vliet thing would play out. And I just, uh, you know, you talk about what ifs and we'll get into some what ifs throughout the offseason or, or throughout the preseason leading up to the season. But what if Fred Van Vliet doesn't go to the Rockets and they're offering Austin Reeves 100, essentially $100 million or something close to it? You know, I think about that like I, I'm underwhelmed now. 
imagine how and that's no disrespect to austin reeves but imagine how underwhelmed i'd be if like you're com- if it's like some combination of austin reeves and dylan brooks and you're like now it feels like we got a bunch of redundant players and you know you know what's the direction what are you doing here you know like you got udoka but so I, I think about what could have been versus what actually is and i like how the pieces fit i like what it represents i like the direction and for me adam is going to come down to like Jalen green for example how does the additions of Obviously, Ime Udoka is the head coach, but how does the additions of Fred Van Vliet, a true more, I don't want to just say traditional, but just a maybe probably just a more effective and veteran and experienced point guard, winning point guard, and Dylan Brooks, a high-level defender and just an experienced player, how do do the additions of players like that impact him? How do the additions of players like that impact the Jabari Smith Jr., who we saw uh, play really well in summer league for whatever it's worth, um, looked more like, again, in summer league context, but looked more like the type of player that you'd want him to be. How do those additions impact guys like that? Alperin Shingun, what does it mean for him to play for a coach that is going to demand something of him defensively or possibly limit his minutes? I'm very fascinated to see how that plays itself out. So, like just the direction, focus, and vision of it all is what stands out to me in the offseason. Well, part of the direction is that now they're actually going to try to win games. And yeah. the last couple of years, they really have not – well, I mean, they haven't – that they really haven't kind of. They have not at all tried to win games. It's been about playing guys who probably aren't ready uh, big minutes, whether it's Green or Smith or Shingun or whoever um, – and try and maximize your draft pick. That's basically been what the last couple of years have been. Now it's about we actually have to win basketball games. So I think that's where the direction comes in because there's clearly a direction and it's from up above. Like, hey, you know, the whole phase one thing was great, but now it's time to start winning. And so I think that there certainly was an urgency within the front office because they could have, you know, they could have just hoarded the cap space. I mean, they did not have to spend all the cap space. They could have just rolled it over to next summer and, in and, uh, and, and tried their hand with the next free agent class. And they kind of understood that, no, we can't do that because we actually have to win games now. Um, so we'll have to wait and see how that part of it works out. But I think you said it at the very beginning, it's about the guys that they drafted. Like, you know what Fred Van Vliet is, you know, what Dylan Brooks is, you know, what Jeff Green is, you know, what Jock Landell is, you know, what all these guys are, but now, and they can be, they can be and have been important players on good teams, but they're not like taking you to some high level. They aren't, you know, they've been all, you know, at least in with Van Vliet, he's been an all-star in the past. I don't think that you would consider him to be like a perennial all-star type player. So you need guys that you already had to emerge as those types of players. And that's where the Jalen Greens and the Jabari Smiths and the Shingoons and the Easons and the Amen Thompsons, that's where those guys matter because the guys that they signed, they can help you. Like they are going to help them and they are going to make the floor much higher, but they're not necessarily going to raise the ceiling. The guys that are going to raise the ceiling are going to be the guys that they have drafted either in the top five or in the top half of the first round or, you know, 
top 20 in the first round the last couple of years. So those are the key guys for them. It's just, can the, can the 20, 21, 22 year olds, can those guys develop and turn into upper level NBA players? Cause if they do, then the Rockets are in business. If they don't, then the Rockets are just kind of going to be mediocre. All right. We'll, we'll get into the young players and the fit and a little bit more about the team in a little bit as we talk about these betting odds. But before we do that, while we're talking about the offseason, I wanted to just mention this Jalen Brown contract because it happened. We've talked about Jalen Brown on this on this podcast before. So just to put a wrap on that, since that did happen in the offseason, uh, the, the Celtics and Jalen Brown did agree to the five-year $304 million super max, which – you know, you know what these numbers for the most part are going to be before they hit. It's just a matter of when. But even still, when you see it, you're like, yo, that's a lot of money. That is a whole lot of money. Uh, just really just your thoughts on the, the the contract, the decision by the Celtics and whether that's like, uh, you know, I don't want to say a missed opportunity for the Rockets because it's not like they could have just snapped their fingers and had Jalen Brown. But do you think it's. Do you think it's kind of a better do, do you like this the way this is played out better as opposed to sort of our Jalen Brown conversations previously? Like him him staying there with the Celtics, what do you think about that deal and the and the the Rockets implication? Well, I mean, the Celtics really didn't have a choice. They had to sign him. I mean, they I guess, you know, the alternative was to trade him, which you're not going to get equal value back for him, or you lose him, you risk losing him in free agency. So um, they were kind of their backs were up against the wall with this. Obviously, he was somebody that we had connected to the Rockets really for months, even going back to Christmas as uh, somebody that they would probably be interested in targeting, whether via trade or in free agency, if he would have gone into free agency next year. And I still don't think you can rule that out. You know, as crazy as that might sound today after he signs, you know, uh, the largest contract in NBA history, which will only be the largest contract in NBA history for a short period of time. But for Brown, he's going to sign it because he's going to get the money. And if he would have gone into free agency next summer, nobody else could have offered him that. So he locks in the $304 million, And as we've seen with the way this league works, just because you're under contract doesn't mean that you can't get traded. And Boston did what Boston had to do. And that was sign him, but it doesn't mean that he can't be traded down the road. And I'm telling you, um, you look at the Van Vliet contract, like it would not take a lot for the Rockets to be able to match up the money to make some sort of a Jalen Brown trade. I'm just, let's just get that out there right now. Um, and so if, if Boston were to fall short next season, which, I mean, they will probably go into next season as a favorite to win the Eastern Conference. But if they don't and they lose early like they have now the last couple of years, then all of a sudden, or at least like they, they did last year, you're going to start hearing that a little bit more. And the one thing that the Rockets did with their with what they did in free agency is that now they have the contracts that you can add up to get somebody like Jalen Brown. And they have enough draft assets to where I think they could make something happen if that were to come, if that were to be an option here down the road. So uh, we have kind of mentioned Jalen Brown in the past with connections to the Rockets. And obviously you have to cancel that out at least for a year, but don't be surprised if we're talking in 10 months about a Jalen Brown Rockets possibility here. 
Yeah, I, the the better way to frame that would for me would have been to to put a pin in it, right? Because yes. you you can just put a pin in that because I was talking about this with a friend whenever the news came out that yo we have seen if there is any NBA trend that it doesn't take like a it doesn't even take the the hardcore, the most hardcore fan to follow this NBA trend is that you can trade bad contracts. You can dump salaries. It is a thing in the NBA. It's just, I mean, you it's doable. We've seen it time and time again. And so this one wouldn't be any different. And, and Jalen Brown is still like, like he would have to really fall off a cliff to be the type of player that you couldn't move even with that salary. So, you know, like, so it, this is not, and he's a young enough player. So this is not like a end all be all sort of thing, but it it does. Uh, I think it does, like you said, it 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 does kind of feed the obvious of the Celtics needing to do this. I wondered, I, I wondered more of what the relationship was with the team and how much that was going to factor into all of it. That was kind of my thing of like, okay. This seems like an obvious play from a basketball standpoint of what they should do. They should run this back. They should keep trying this thing and trying to surround these guys with the the most that they can. But I didn't know and I wasn't sure of how Jalen Brown felt about being with the Celtics. And if the writing was already on the wall for what direction he was leaning in, if that maybe factored into what was going to happen this offseason. Now, obviously, we see how it played out. But that was why it was interesting to me. And obviously, again, we see how how it's played out. But like we said, put a pin in it, put a pin in it because the connection is there. And there's just like, you know, we make the jokes and I at least I, I participate in this, make the jokes about Jalen Brown not being able to dribble all that well and only being able to use one hand. But think about how cold you got to be to be an all NBA player, to be an all star, to be as accomplished as he is, even with the deficiencies that we talk about. Like that to me just tells you how damn good he is. This dude is this dude just made a, a three hundred million dollars and can only dribble with one hand. Like that is like credit to him, salute to him. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people wish they had it that good. Uh, so so yeah, I, I would say we could just for now put a pin in that. And and it's very easy to stack the contracts. Like you look at Jalen Brown's salary for twenty. Oh, I just had it up for um. 2024-2025 it is going to be and this is an estimate of it but it's going to be around 55 56 million with the Van Vliet contract and with Dylan Brooks and with all the veteran contracts that the Rockets um handed out this offseason it's very easy it is very easy to come up with that so if just like you said put a pin in it because uh whatever feelings that Jalen Brown might have had towards the Celtics organization they might still be there. That's, you know, he signed the contract because it was there and it was offered to him. And yeah. uh, it's $300 million. <laughs> and and it's not like he could have just gone into free agency and gotten that from somewhere else. That's the big thing is that there was only one team that could offer him that contract. It was the team that he played for. And so you just have to take it, you take the money and you figure out, you know, you figure out the rest down the road. So I, I do think that it is, it's possible that, that this could be something that we revisit uh, once we get towards next spring. So you and I both agreed that the Rockets had a good off season. You know, it's, it's not like overwhelming or anything, but it was a good, 
a good solid offseason, but we've also acknowledged that they're still not going to be a very good team and they are a, they're even a long shot to to make the play in. You know, it, that that would be almost you know that that's certainly aspirational but you know it's it's, it's probably out of the cards. At, at the very least the betting odds indicate that they are the least likely team in the Western Conference to win the championship. They have the uh, they have the worst odds to win the championship out of all Western Conference teams, and only the Hornets, the Pistons, and the Wizards have worse odds. Uh, if you look in the Western Conference, um, they're below the Jazz, Spurs, Thunder, and Trailblazers. So. I'll start there with like these these odds on their 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 win total is it's 31 and a half national conference like yo is that is that good enough I mean like I, I don't know like I I don't know if if it's like fair to 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 say to to judge that just off of the odds, it's probably not. But you think about it, it's like, man, you make all of these moves, you make all of these advances in an offseason. You'd like to think that you've raised your floor. You'd like to at least I'd like to think that you've raised your floor a little bit more than that. And we talked about this before. Like, what what teams do we think that they're better than? And I don't know. You and I might have rattled off one or two, maybe. Like we might have thrown San Antonio and Portland out there. The odds are saying that they're the worst in the Western Conference. What What, what do you think about that? Well, there's no reason to think that they aren't. I mean, they yeah. were the they they've been the worst team in the Western Conference now for for three straight years. They were tied with San Antonio last year, and San Antonio just drafted you know a generational player. So uh, yeah, I think that where they are in the uh, in the preseason rankings or whatever that that's that's fine. Um, and it's also that's a ten win improvement. Which te- you know, winning ten more games—that's a—that's a pretty significant improvement. And like you said, you made the key point. Like, who are they better than? Um, you're going to play fifty-two of your games against Western Conference opponents. That's a—that's a big chunk out of your schedule uh, against teams that, for the most part, you will be worse than. I mean, the Rockets will play fifty-two games against teams that will—that right now, I think that we would all agree are better than them. So where are the wins coming from? We can talk about how they've they've improved, and they certainly have. And I think that organizationally, they would be disappointed uh, if they only wind up, uh, you know, with 32, even though that would, you know, hit the over. But it's hard to make that type of improvement, especially when everybody else in your conference is trying to win, except for maybe one team. And that team is still, at this moment, Portland, trying to win at this point, unless they, they finally trade Damian Lillard. But... Yeah, I think that the number is fair, and I think that it's hard to. They can talk about wanting to be in the play and all they all they want, but you got to jump over a lot of teams in order to get there, and all those teams are good and trying to win. So it's the, the West. The West is back to being very very difficult to the point to where remember it wasn't it wasn't long ago that you had to win like fifty games just to get into the playoffs from the Western Conference. I don't know if we're quite there yet, but you've got to get to. 35 40 wins just to be in the playing conversation i feel like yeah man it's such an uphill battle and feels like such a, a tough sell to the public 
I don't know how much this matters really because people who love the team are going to love the team more than likely, but it is frustrating. You got to think like such a tough sell to the public of selling. This is the year it it changes, or this is the year where we're serious. We're trying to win games. We've made moves. We've given $80 million to Dylan Brooks. We've given somewhere around $130 million to Fred Van Vliet. Like, and it's not, it's not the fans money. It's not the public's money, but it does sort of represent what you're trying to do. And, and then it's like, man, but you're still, you do all of this and you're still the worst. You know, I think they will be much more enjoyable to watch. I think it'll be a, like I said, a team with some direction, which is what they were sorely lacking. So as far as like a, an on-court product, an actual tangible product, I think that'll be something that they can be a lot more proud of this season, even if they're not going to win a ton of games, even even if they do turn out to be the worst team in the Western Conference. But to me, it just feels like such an uphill battle and a, and a weird position to be in when you put in this much work to try to improve the team. You make two first round picks that are really that you feel really good about. You sign two really solid veterans that should feels like should raise your your floor at the very least. And and it's just like, yo, it still another year away, still another year away. Preaching, uh, preaching a lot of patience there. No, you're right. And that's why the timing of where they're at is so difficult. Like if it, and I feel like if it weren't for owing Oklahoma City their draft pick, they could probably string this out another year. They probably could have rolled the cap space over to another year, but they don't want to have to give up. You know, they didn't want to have to stare the possibility of giving up a top five pick to Oklahoma City. So I, I understand where they're coming from with this, but they just picked the they just picked a bad time because everybody else in the West is trying to to get better and trying to compete. They are too, which you know I give them credit for for taking that approach, but it's going to be hard for them this year. And I think the big challenge, and we'll probably talk about this more as we get closer to the season, but keeping everybody positive, I think might wind up being a challenge because there are these expectations that they're going to win more basketball games, but it's going to be really hard. So what happens if, if they start poorly and all these guys who are, who have either been used to winning the last few years with, uh, with Brooks and with Van Vliet and all these guys, you know, what happens if they all of a sudden now they're in a situation where they're losing a bunch of games. And what about all these, these other young guys who have kind of been beaten down the last couple of years by losing all these games? What if they're going through this whole thing again? Like, how do you keep, how do you keep the vibe in the locker room happy? How do you keep everybody engaged? How do you keep everybody positive and pulling it in the right direction? And I think that's going to be the big challenge for Ime Udoka moving forward is like, Hey, this is not, you know, we're we're saying all the right things and we're talking, we're, we we are, you know, our actions are, are doing the same thing, but you still got to go out and win games. And the team that's across from you, they're going to be trying to win too, and they're probably better equipped, equipped to win games at this point. So how are you going to handle it if things don't go your way? How do you make sure that this thing doesn't go off the rails? Because I think that we've seen it the last couple of years. Their seasons have just gone off the rails in a hurry, and it's it's been tough for them to, to come out of that. So you know, this is, I think it's going to be a challenging year for them. Um, I think it's a good, it's, it's going to be a good challenge, but I think you're going to learn a ton about the young guys, especially. I think you're going to learn a ton about Jalen Green and Jabari Smith and Eason and Shingun. I think those guys, it's, it's a big year for those four guys, especially. Yeah, I, I like that point. I, I will say that I feel good about 
what you mentioned there, how they would respond to the challenges of a season, like what this could be to adversity, how they might respond to that. In terms of who they brought in, the leadership that they brought in between Ime Udoka, and I, I'll explain this, between Ime Udoka, Fred Van Vliet, and Dylan Brooks, and you're right about the young players. I think that's the, what the ultimate question is going to be. Like, how are, the, how are those guys going to respond? And I was talking about the impact of those other guys, those other three, Udoka, Fred Van Vliet, and Dylan Brooks. What's the impact on those guys on the floor? What's the impact on those guys off the floor as well when things do go or sort of between the lines, outside the lines a little bit, when things don't uh, go the way that they ideally would like for them to go? But in terms of the guys that they brought in, I do like their experience with adversity. You know, M.A. Udoka, the one season that we've seen him as a head coach, obviously the Celtics went to the finals that year, but they experienced some adversity earlier on in that year or around the midpoint in that year. They had a little bit of infighting. You had Marcus Smart not necessarily getting along with or, or at the very least calling out. I don't know about not getting along, but at the very least calling out some of the guys in the media. I think Jason Tatum and and Jalen Brown were two were two of the guys that that might have taken exception to it. Uh, they, like they, they had to rally around each other. There there was some they they weren't doing that well at, at one point. And then they turned things around, and Ime Udoka had a lot to do with that, uh, at least the way that I understand it. And then Fred Van Vliet is somebody who even you and I played a little bit of this when we were doing a show on Sports Radio six ten last week of him talking on the Pivot podcast with. Uh, with Ryan Clark and some others about just the the challenges of last year playing with young guys and how the experience of Toronto's failures last year, underachievements last year, how that I, I don't know if failures the right, but under certainly underachievement, how that made them uh, or how that experience could help him with these guys uh, going into going into working with these because he just came from working with young guys uh, and, and sees sees how that went. So, and then of course, Dylan Brooks was on a team last year in the Grizzlies. Who, I mean, we remember that interview that John Morant before things went off the rails for him. That interview that he did with I think it was Malika Andrews, where he said, We're good on the West. You know, they were cocky enough to think that they could win the West. And then they went through some adversity, obviously. Now, I don't think uh all of that had anything to do with Dylan Brooks, but he he was a part of some of the adversity at times, right? So he like so much so that they didn't want to bring him back and publicly did not want to bring him back. So I say all of that to say they brought in some guys who have dealt with adversity, uh, at least some of the leaders that we think are going to be on this team. Uh, the question is, and, and the thing that we're going to be trying to monitor is how, like how, how do the younger guys respond and how do these quote unquote leaders help them along the way with that? Yeah, you're right. And it's one of those things we won't, we, won't, we aren't going to know until we see it. And yeah. uh, I, I remember Jalen Green said early last year, you know, we're going to rebuild. There's no, there's no, there's no losses. It's either wins or, or learning lessons. And, uh, you know, at some point, I think he got tired of the whole learning lessons aspect of it. Um, I'm interested to know, um, do they now feel like, well, now we have now, now there are losses, you know, we're, we're not rebuilding anymore. Now we're actually like winning games and it's either it's wins and losses and, you know, how do you handle the failure? Um, I, failure is hard. You know, it just is, especially when you're doing it on a big stage. And um, 
So I want, you know, I want to see how they handle that. And then at, at the same point, like what if they get off to a good start? How do they handle the success? Because you have a bunch of guys who have not been successful, at least from a team level in this league. So how do they handle it when they start, you know, if they start winning games and, you know, do they stay focused and, and all the other stuff that comes with that? So um, the big thing when it comes to sports, especially at the highest level, it's how do you handle success and how you handle failure? And uh, I'm interested to see how the Rockets, how this group handles both this season. 